From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this live broadcast here on today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host for these two hours. Thank you guys for rejoining us. And again, a big thank you to Matt Campbell uh, in the UK and best of luck uh, for his legal campaign. Very important issue. Uh, so we dropped the link to IC911.org uh, in the TNT chat community. If you want to get more information, perhaps support uh, Matt's challenge. Uh, it's all there. The information's there. Go ahead and click on that link. Uh, now let's change gears right now. We're going to go to talk about U.S. Uh, foreign policy right now, escalation in the Middle East, another wave of airstrikes um, by the United States uh, against targets in Iraq, Syria, Yemen. So the second undeclared war of aggression in just a few weeks Pretty incredible. Uh, we'll talk right now with independent journalist based in Washington, D.C., Sam Husseini. He's joining us on the live link right now. Sam, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Patrick. Thank you. It's great to have you as well. Sam, first of all, what do you make of the last seven days? I mean, uh, Washington says they don't want to escalate tensions uh, while they're escalating tensions. It's uh, pretty incredible. Your, your, your first comments on this. Yeah, well, they clearly want to escalate tensions. Um, they say that they don't want a wider war. What, what they want is dominance. And if they can't get complete subservience, they want to strike at or threaten anyone who gets out of line. Um, um, you know, they, they pretty much ensured that every government is subservient, right? You take a look at all of the official Arab governments, um, none of them are doing anything to stop Israel and the United States. That was achieved over decades of U.S. foreign policy, policy of regime change, of ousting anyone who looked at them the wrong way, of it weakening uh, those who they couldn't necessarily or decided not to totally take out, like Assad, for example, but anyone else who might pursue an independent path, Saddam, Gaddafi, anyone else was taken out um so that they've created this chessboard all of these quizzling regimes now um which go along with u.s policy you know um they are opposed by their publics so the opposition to that manifests itself through these subnational groups uh that eventually create militias uh that, that, that have some kind of military component. Uh, the largest is the Houthis, but you also have Hezbollah and so on that, that, that have some kind of military component. Uh, the largest is the Houthis, but you also have Hezbollah and so on. Um, and um, so now, you know, popular opposition is taking on that form. And now the U.S. is now striking at the subnational um, manifestations of popular opposition um, to to its policies. I, so I think it's important the, to look at that in, in, a, in a big picture context as to why is this happening, you know. Um, and obviously all, all of these groups have local resentments, very real, you know, whether it's in Yemen or Iraq or Syria or whatever. 
but they all also galvanize around Palestine. Um, and they rightly, I think, for the most part, see Israel as sort of the tip of the spear of um, of the U.S. Um, dominance of the region. That's an important point there, Sam, is that uh, a lot of the hostilities, this wave of hostilities against U.S. targets uh, in where they are encamped in Syria and uh, in Iraq uh, is come directly as a result of what the Israelis are doing in Gaza. The same with the actions by uh, Ansar Allah, the Houthis in Yemen as well. But the official U.S. story right now, Sam, is that the United States is in Syria and Iraq to... Uh, realize the gains in the fight against ISIS and that these were Iranian groups or Iranian proxies that have attacked these U.S. Uh, facilities and killed three U.S. soldiers that Iran is to blame and the United States' response is to deter Iran from doing any such further uh, uh, belligerent activities against U.S. Uh, interests in the region. How much of that official explanation, if I got that right, how much of that is true? How much of that is completely false? Yeah, no, I think that that official uh, version just doesn't hold water. These these groups all have, have a, you know, a volition. They, they, they all have their, their own agendas. Um, certainly, many of them are funded uh, by... Uh, Iran, uh, but probably to a lesser extent than Israel is funded by the United States. Um, and uh, if anything regarding um, ISIS, um, you know, it's the areas where, uh, that, uh, where the U.S. is that where ISIS is strongest. So if anything, the U.S. has been least effective, and that's probably putting it very politely. Um, uh, I'm not an expert on that, but I know that much. Um, uh, to the that that, that you know, you have the Syrian government, which has been ruthless in going after ISIS and has genuinely, um, uh, you know, gone after it. But it's the areas that the of Syria that it doesn't control that the U.S. controls uh, that are that are strongest for with ISIS. Um, so I don't think any of that meaningfully holds up so so what do you think the, the 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 actual u.s master plan is at the moment here do they have a master plan or are they trying really to accommodate israel or is there some long or is it just to keep the region unstable a lot of people are trying to figure out you know what what would the next move be by washington yeah. Yeah, I think that a couple of things. Yeah, it's a, it's a big myth that the U.S. wants stability in the Middle East. A lot of people say that, and a lot of alleged critics of U.S. policy, even the Iranian government said, you know, the U.S. is making a mistake um, in launching these attacks. It's causing instability. Uh, I'm like, maybe that's not a mistake. Uh, maybe that's their goal. And it's kind of astounding that even the Iranians, um, apparently, at least in their public statements, um, don't necessarily convey that or, or they, they actually hold up the what I believe is the mythology. Um, uh, the U.S. wants dominance and it doesn't mind some military challenge at a lower level so that it can't actually, you know, I mean, U.S. policymakers don't care about, you know, a handful of U.S. soldiers. Um, 
I think U.S. public does, myself, other people do, but I don't think the U.S. planners care about that in the least. Um, if anything, it's quite possible that one of the um, utilities of U.S. soldiers is to possibly serve as tripwires. Um, that is, if the United States, you know, desired uh, at a certain point to um, uh, become more interventionist in a given country, if, uh, you know, U.S. soldiers getting killed there uh, would serve as potentially a good pretext um, for further intervention if they decided to escalate that way. Um, it's not clear to me whether they want a wider war or not at this point. Um, uh, they are clearly very happy to risk a wider war in order to facilitate the continuation of Israel's genocide in Gaza. That much is clear. Um, if that risk is actually a cost to them, and it's not clear to me that that's an actual cost to them, it might be a benefit, it is significantly smaller um, uh, than their enticement, uh, their, their desire for Israel to continue. Um, to continue its policies. I mean, I don't, I don't ultimately view the U.S. and Israel as completely distinct entities. There is an establishment, um, a, a nexus uh, of the, the uh, of the two establishments, and they work very much hand in glove and have for decades. Um, uh, they, they've planned out. They they've made created documents. Um, uh, U.S. and Israeli uh, officials, current and former in order to, uh, you know, secure the realm, as they called it. Yeah, you're talking about the, uh, as well, the, the, the clean, the infamous clean break uh, document and the formation of the project for the New American Century, uh, another, you know, organization, major Israeli advocates, uh, foreign policy experts, all clustering around the Beltway through various think tanks. Uh, so you're definitely correct, I think, Sam, you can't separate the two. At least you haven't been able to do that for uh, a number of decades. Um, look, we're going to take a break with the network. When we come back, Sam, I want to talk about uh, Gaza itself uh, and developments there because things have uh, not developed in the way that people have hoped uh, after the interim ICJ ruling, but there have been some interesting things happening that I'd like to get your take on after this break. I'm Patrick Kenningson. I'm here with independent journalist Sam Husseini. We're talking about the latest analysis from the Middle East, all this and more in just a few minutes. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself, along with being a useless eater, free speech, isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So, just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. 
If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We're, we're now in number two of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Joining me on the line right now is uh, independent journalist based in the United States in Washington, D.C., Sam Husseini. We're talking before the break about the U.S. escalation in the Middle East and the problems that it is invariably going to cause uh, going forward. But back to the central issue, the most important core issue here is what's happening in Palestine, in Gaza. Uh, Sam Husseini, thank you for rejoining joining us. And uh, there have been some interesting developments uh, uh, after the interim ICJ ruling uh, that, that more likely, this plausibly, Israel is engaging in genocidal activities, and this has triggered the next round of uh, legal processes in terms of mounting a longer investigation, a possible trial. There will be a verdict at some point uh, down in the future. Uh, but what's interesting, and I find this to be fascinating, Sam, and I want to get your uh, analysis on this. As with Hezbollah and some of these other groups and Hamas in in Gaza itself, their behavior uh, reflects something uh, more long-term. And I see this with Hezbollah. They're very calculating in when they move, how they move, and in what proportion that they move, and the timing in which they do things. Uh, are we seeing a similar behavior by Hamas uh, in the wake of this ICJ ruling? Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's different in character uh, than than Hezbollah. I think Hezbollah is more calculating, um, and you know, sort of. Um, I mean, I mean, some people have been surprised that Hezbollah has not entered the war more deeply. Um, and honestly, this isn't the main point that I want to get into here, but. There has been, even among good analysts, some poor analysis in terms of Hezbollah. Um, uh, uh, Amal Saad, who's typically a very good analysts, analyst uh, expert on uh, Hezbollah, I think has somewhat mischaracterized the history. She's, she has argued that Hezbollah has been more engaged in this war than any prior war vis-a-vis -vis Palestine. That's not true. In 2006, Hezbollah basically very strategically, this was the most sophisticated thing. They interweaved effectively the Lebanese and um, Palestinian situations in order that created a tripwire for the 2006 war in which Hezbollah basically beat Israel. They they abducted an Israeli soldier, uh, you know, presumably in retaliation for um, Israel having holding Lebanese. Um, 
uh, personnel, uh, but they did it at a time when Israel was attacking um, Gaza. So it was a very strategic um, interweaving of the two. Um, you don't have Hezbollah doing anything like that right now. But I, I think right after we spoke last week, Patrick, it really caused me to really examine where, has, where Hamas has been in the last months. And if you look at it, right after, uh, a couple of days after the ICJ ruling, um, uh, the, it, it became apparent that Israel w was going to step up its attacks and that they were then going to go after UNRWA. You know, two incredible effective escalations in terms of their genocidal attack. And then um, Hamas struck Tel Aviv. And I looked back and they hadn't struck Tel Aviv for over a month. Um, and if you look back on it, it looks like they stopped striking central Israel um, right after South Africa filed the um, application to the ICJ. So it looks like Hamas sort of pulled back to say, let's let this play out. And also right before the ICJ uh, issued their ruling, Hamas said, if the ICJ issues a ceasefire, we will abide by it. If, if they say ceasefire, we will not be the ones to break it. Israel will be the one to break it. And effectively, I mean, they didn't use the term ceasefire, but they call it for an end of genocidal activities and so on and so on. And as I said, Israel um, continued um, it, it, its bloody assault. Um, so if you really parse through what Hamas has done, it's very interesting. And it, it's sort of people tend to say, oh, it's just, you know, this legal stuff is baloney. You just have to pursue military or, you know, vice versa. And I, I think both of those are wrong. Um, it, similarly, um, uh, uh, with the so-called Houthis, you, you have a similar interweaving of diplomatic, legal, and military um, uh, targets that they have said, we, we are only targeting shipping to stop Israel uh, from its genocidal activities. Uh, against the Palestinians, and they will stop once those uh, activities stop. Um, so you, you you do have um, a, an intermeshing of of those things that people sometimes put in opposition to each other. It's extraordinary uh, what you're bringing up here, Sam, because aside from the optics, the contrast in the optics between Hamas and and uh, and Israel um, post. ICJ ruling, um, it shows that Hamas is is conscious of other international actors because there's a lot of stakeholders in this decision. They're conscious of it. Israel disregarding it completely. I don't know how many people have been killed since the on the by Israel since it's over 1,100, over 1,200 people. I don't even know the numbers anymore, but it's significant. And so the in international relations, Sam. You call this normative behavior. So Hamas is exhibiting normative behavior in relation to other international actors. Israel is not. Israel is acting like a rogue state. That's the that's what the optics look like here. What your thoughts? Absolutely. Netanyahu outright said, "No one's going to stop us. Not Iran. Not the Hague. 
And meanwhile, Hamas said, we will abide by whatever the ICJ says. Um, so the contrast is tremendous. Uh, Hamas backed the South African uh, application, even though South Africa condemned Hamas's October 7th attack. Um, so, um, you know, th th there's all kinds of parallels there. I, I mean, Hamas has I, I don't think a group has been talked about so much and been heard from so little in terms of what their positions are. And it reminds me a lot of um, in um, the 1990s uh, when the U.S. was putting sanctions on Iraq after it, you know, bombed the crap out of it, you know, took out its water and electrical facilities and so on. Um, Saddam Hussein couldn't do anything, basically. If he made a speech, it would get ignored or mischaracterized. He couldn't bomb. If he got bombed, then he'd get clobbered harder. Um, and all he could do was throw out the weapons inspectors. And he would throw them out at very strategic times. If there was a conference which would uh, bring in Israel and some Gulf states that the U.S. was trying to orchestrate, he would use that moment to kick out the weapons inspectors. Virtually nobody in the United States, uh, maybe inside the government, they got this, but in, in the U.S. media, they couldn't. They, they never made these connections. And then after that conference was over, he'd let the inspectors back in. And in the U.S. media, this was commonly portrayed as Saddam is cheating and retreating. He's kicking them out so that he can move his weapons around. And, and you know, and da, 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 this, this whole complete concoction about weapons of mass destruction, which didn't happen. That's not why he kicked out the weapons inspectors. He kicked out the weapons inspectors because you weren't listening to him uh, or the needs of the Iraqi people. And kicking out the weapons inspectors is the only mechanism he had. Similarly, now, the Palestinians, Hamas, they're going to they're totally ignored. The only mechanism Hamas has is to attack. Um, and it's because of U.S. policy and it's because uh, of their uh, complete uh, assault on international law that there's no other uh, method here. So now that brings us to this week. You had a Security Council meeting uh, last week. Um, which South Africa made some very powerful statements at. China made some fairly powerful statements. Um, Algeria is putting forward the motions. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, but there was no resolution put forward. Um, it seemed, reports are that Algeria this week will put forward a resolution. Oh, one would expect that if it has teeth, that the U.S. would veto it. Um, if it doesn't have teeth, which is probably what the U.S. wants. You know, if they can, you know, if they can pass a res resolution that says everybody should abide by the genocide convention, you know, to just totally, you know, make it a tautological uh, statement, um, uh, I think that would be the U.S.'s first choice. And if that happens, that would signal, I think, a capitulation on the parts of these other states, a complete capitulation. Uh, that's my current reading. Um, but if the if it has some meaningful teeth and the U.S. vetoes it, then you really see how serious these other states are. Uh, will they take it to the General Assembly under Uniting for Peace? Will they suspend Israel uh, from the U.N. General Assembly? Will they admit Palestine as a full member? Will they set up a tribunal uh, to go after individuals because the International Criminal Court has refused to do its job? So that's, that's what we're seeing this week, presumably.
Yeah, it's going to get very interesting now, you see. And, and uh, you know, Israel can be defiant and say, we're going to take care of our own security and nobody can tell us what to do and we're sovereign and all the rest of it. Um, that's all fine and well uh, in, in the initial stages of this, but now you're going to see some serious moves taking place at the UN General Assembly level, perhaps. Uh, and then there's going to be, you know, ramifications. There's going to be uh, consequences uh, at that point, and it can go forward for a very long time. It's going to be a very long and painful process politically for the state of Israel. And I think a lot of people are going to find it, find that out. And uh, probably Israel is going to find out the hard way, uh, in fact. So it's going to be very interesting, Sam. Your final thoughts before we break. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I say, it's going to be a test as to the intestinal fortitude of these various states, South Africa, um, Algeria, and so on. like right now, you know, the, the International Court of Justice, South Africa went before them, they issued their ruling and they said, we're going to, you know, Israel's going to report back in a month. Why are we waiting a month? Israel has has escalated their assault by, by attacking UNRWA um, and so on. Uh, I, I think that there's a strong case to be made for South Africa or other states to be going back to the ICJ sooner than that to say, Israel is not clearly not abiding and has no intention of abiding by your ruling. You need to issue another ruling, a harder ruling. Mm. Like a cease and desist uh, yeah. order or something like this. Yeah. That's what happened in the case of Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is what a lot of people were hoping for uh, in the onset. Uh, let's, let's hope that the, the wheels of justice in this case, uh, in the Hague, uh, can turn in the right direction uh, on this in order to save lives, in order to reduce uh, unnecessary suffering, because that's what it's really all about um, at the end of the day. Uh, journalist Sam Husseini, uh, based in Washington, D.C., and also follow Sam Husseini's Substack uh, as well. And also, we've linked him on our at 21 Wire Twitter feed with our show post. Just click on there, and you'll take you right to Sam's uh, X Twitter profile, and you'll get his links there as well. Sam, thank you for joining us on TNT, today's news talk this week. Thanks as always, Patrick. Great update uh, from the Middle East. Very important, by the way, and this is going to shape uh, part of the 2024 U.S. elections as campaigns get on and start challenging each other on the big issues. We appreciate Sam's contribution there. Let's take a break right now with the network and let's connect another fantastic voice and analyst, Mark Crispin Miller. I want to get his take on what's happening in the Middle East and the political effects in the U.S., all this and more coming up in just a few minutes. I'm Patrick Ennings, and stick around. We'll be right back. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Oh, no. Could the squad soon be a thing of the past? Well, based on the hot water that Democrat representatives Cori Bush from Missouri and Ilhan Omar, her brother's wife from Minnesota, are in, all signs point to yes. Outcome likely. What am I talking about? Well, according to Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, Cori Bush has diverted campaign funds into some questionable security expenses. And Omar was filmed in Somalia saying she's Somalian first and Muslim second. Didn't seem to be a mention of the United States or her oath of office to the Constitution in there. The sooner we're well shot of these people, the better. They're clearly here based on intersectionality, not intellect. 
and nothing will become them so much as they're leaving. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. You're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast, and uh, we're going to try to connect our next uh, guest, Mark Crispin Miller. Uh, we just got a few connection issues we're ironing out uh, with our undersea cables across the Atlantic uh, and weaving around the world uh, to TNT HQ uh, down in Australia, over to New York, over to Arizona. So we're going to try to link all these things up uh, in real time. So we'll bring on Mark, hopefully, uh, if we can get him on in just a few minutes. But uh, let me, let me uh, just put that on hold for the moment and, uh, and get back to the news. Um, on the issue of the Middle East, uh, there's been a few interesting updates on there. And I want to sort of go through some of those processes uh, on right now on, on the live stream. And uh, we're getting some updates now from uh, CENTCOM uh, and from the United States. Uh, here we go. Uh, latest, this is uh, at 1636 uh, Greenwich uh, Mean Time. Uh, the latest here, uh, British Defense Secretary. We'll get the latest from, this is coming out of London. Grant Shapps, Grant Shapps. Grant Shapps has told the House of Commons that the joint U.S. strikes on the so-called Houthis uh, in Yemen have a significant in effect uh, in degrading the group's abilities to uh, dis you know, disrupt shipping in, in, in the Red Sea. Um, totally ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Do, do you realize that the U.S., Britain... Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and a half a dozen under other countries have waged a war against the so-called Houthis in Yemen for nine years, going on nine years, roughly. Uh, and the only thing that resulted from that 
is that their capabilities increased. They became more organized, more effective, more lethal as a fighting force. As a result of all that, we're talking about continuous bombing runs for eight years. Okay. Does Grant Shapps or anybody else in Washington believe that a couple of days of salvos uh, is going to somehow stop or degrade answer Allah? I really don't think so. Uh, if you think they have tunnel systems in Gaza, you wouldn't believe what they have in Yemen. You wouldn't believe what they developed after eight years of Saudi and U.S. bombardments. You would not believe. If they have tunnels that people can walk through in Gaza, they can drive a truck through the tunnels in Yemen. Okay, So uh, that's where their uh, armaments are stored. This is where their missiles are. So whatever they've done here, it's really cosmetic. It's superficial. Um, so anyway, he goes on basically saying that the, the threat posed by the group has not fully diminished. So at the same time, they say they've degraded the group's abilities. And then within the same sentence, they say, but they their capabilities have not uh, fully diminished. The threat is still there, whatever. The Houthis, as they call them, uh, been targeting vessels, navigating in protest to Israel's genocide against the native Palestinian population in Gaza. And uh, Shaps says, Grant Shaps, he's the latest UK defense minister, in the rotation, the musical chairs, uh, which they call uh, the the cabinet in the UK, uh, Grant Shaps is basically saying uh, they, they believe the Yemenis that they're Robin Hood. So he's sort of making fun of the Yemenis. So the, the people that want to stop the genocide are being derided and bombed and laughed at and killed. And the people backing the genocide are posing as the saviors of the region. You couldn't make it up if you tried. The only people they are robbing are innocent Yemenis, says Shaps, uh, whose food and aid arrives via the Red Sea. What food and aid? The food and aid is being blocked going into Gaza. It's being blocked by the Israeli government and Israeli citizens have intervened to prevent aid from going in. What on earth is the UK foreign secretary, defense secretary talking about? These people are absolutely amazing. One, one moment they're in the sort of education department, work in pensions. Next thing you know, they're in charge of defense. I mean, really? So anyway, he also insists that the most recent strike uh, in Yemen was very carefully planned. Uh, so that minimal civilian casualties might occur. Uh, I'm sure they were concerned about that, just like the Israelis are concerned about civilian casualties in Gaza, not to be outdone. Tony Blinken, Anthony Blinken himself, uh, has also weighed in on this. And let's see what he's saying here. Anthony Blinken is the U.S. Secretary of State, the top diplomat in the U.S., um, and he has flown to Saudi Arabia to lobby the Arabs. Uh, what does he want from the Saudis? Uh, he's saying that uh, the, he wants to assure the Saudis that the U.S. is there to calm tensions in the region. By bombing everybody, they hope to calm tensions in the region. Clown world is real, ladies and gentlemen. The United States top diplomat wants to emphasize that the Biden administration is pursuing a de-escalation of confrontation. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. This is great. So a de-escalation by bombing everybody. This is interesting. I, this is a new kind of logic, a new episode of the Black Mirror. Uh, it's all good, all fair game in Washington. 
all fair game. The United States uh, is basically saying that uh, they're targeting Iranian-backed proxies in Syria and Iraq and the Houthis and the United States, he says, does not, quote, does not want to see the conflict escalated. <laughs> Keeps reiterating this. We don't want escalation. We want to calm the tensions in the region, and that's why we're bombing everybody. Okay. Okay. Do not seek to escalate over and over again. You know what's more ridiculous about this is that the Washington Post, the New York Times, and others uh, basically repeat these, the, these sort of throwaway comments by the U.S. officials. No matter how ridiculous they are, they never challenge them. They never challenge them at the press briefings. They never challenge them at all. Not even print not even print. So what is the U.S. mainstream media at the end of the day but an extension of the Pentagon, but an extension of the White House Policy Department? They're not there as a check. They're, they're not performing the traditional role of the fourth estate, which is to hold power to account. Power to account. They're not there for that. They're there as a mouthpiece for power. This is literal. I mean, the Soviets would be Stalin-esque Soviet Union information department would be absolutely envious at the United States and how good they are at propaganda, and they'd be even more dazzled by the British government. But the U.S. has is, is really carved itself out in the Hall of Fame and propaganda, very, very special place, especially the Biden administration, very special place. This latest one, this folly of this latest escalation is really unbelievable. This is the peace de la resistance of propaganda, ladies and gentlemen. We don't want to escalate. We seek to calm the region. We're going to do that by bombing the you-know-what out of anybody we possibly can. So what are they talking about here? They think that they can force compliance through airstrikes. And guess what? And I said this many times. I said it even uh, just on Friday. Uh, if you think that these groups, these Iraqi and Syrian groups, are going to stop attacking U.S. facilities that are there illegally. They've been asked to leave. They have no business there other than to disrupt and to legally occupy and steal oil uh, and so forth. If you really think they're going to stop attacking U.S. military facilities in their own countries because of U.S. strikes, you really have got to be smoking something extreming extremely strong extremely strong whatever that is whatever tony blinken is smoking it's anyone's guess this is just a new level uh we're at right now ladies and gentlemen uh and let's see does it get worse the united states airstrikes in syria and yemen according to iran's foreign minister nasser uh kanani uh, is basically saying it's a clumsy attempt to divert public attention from the focal point of the crisis, which is Gaza. There you go. The epicenter of the crisis is still Palestine, says the Iranian foreign ministry spokesperson. The solution is to end the genocide. Isn't that what the what the Houthis are saying? Isn't that what everybody in the region is saying? Isn't that what the world is saying? Isn't that what the ICJ uh, and the international consensus is saying? That that's the root of the problem? Isn't that what they're all saying? I think it is. I think that's what they've all been saying. Nobody's listening, unfortunately. Nobody's listening. So unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. 
So anyway, uh, we might go back to, I might get uh, Basil Valentine will be joining us as well uh, for a news break. We're still trying to connect up Mark Crispin Miller. Again, some, having some technical issues that we uh, hope to iron out uh, in the meantime. So we'll uh, bring uh, also our roving correspondent, Basil Valentine, on uh, for his his input on this latest uh, series of events. It's also interesting what the uh, the British government um, are trying to position themselves as some sort of uh, moral arbiter uh, in this situation. And more and more we can see that the British are just kind of being viewed more as that sort of uh, puppet, if you will, that sort of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, like the Robin of, of the United States as Batman. Uh, that Britain is there just basically to facilitate whatever the United States wants and to give this kind of, I don't know, this impression internationally that the U.S. is not acting alone and not acting unilaterally as a multi, uh, as a hegemon uh, in the region. So that's what's happening in the world. Let's take a break with TNT, today's news talk. And when we come back, we will resume our coverage of international events. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stick around after these messages. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I really don't understand how this trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein is continuing. And I don't know if Dr. Mann wanted to put his hockey stick on trial. There are so many holes in his argument. It is hard to believe. I don't even understand how people could have let that out without questioning it. And I've talked about this before. One of the biggest problems I have is he won't let anyone look at his data. At least no one that is skeptical of his data. And that should raise red flags. Now I've talked about this many, many times. You can go and look at what the global temperature does. When it's warm in the eastern and central part of the United States and warm across Europe, usually the global temperature is elevated. Now, when it's cold in those areas, believe it or not, the global temperature is actually colder. The problem with this whole hockey stick and the recreation of temperatures from pine cones is the areas he looks at and draws his ideas from are usually cold when the earth is warm. So he would not be able to detect that. He would not know that because he's not a meteorologist. If he was a meteorologist, would he know it? Of course he'd know it because we talk about this all the time. They're called teleconnections. So if I were in there talking about this, I'd be asking, where is your meteorology background and are you aware of this going on? But in any case, this whole hockey stick idea of temperature recreation looks to be more of a hokey stick to a lot of us out there and the first red flag is you wouldn't let anyone look at your data this is tnt climate and weather watchdog meteorologist joe bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather it's the only weather you've got many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe from power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health if you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. 
And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the program. We're in the final segment of the final hour. Uh, unfortunately, we, we haven't been able to connect our, our guest, scheduled guest, Mark Crispin Miller from uh, New York University, uh, but we will discuss uh, a couple of other important subjects in lieu of that. Uh, I want to, uh, before I bring in our, our intrepid correspondent uh, for some up, important updates, I just want to give uh, a couple of key headlines out of the Ukraine. Zelensky pledges Ukrainian leadership purge. Uh, these are the final days of the Reich uh, in Kiev, folks. When you start seeing headlines like this, leadership purges, uh, this is definitely uh, the dog days of the Zelensky regime. Uh, the exit strategy is imminent, folks. Russia has put ex-Ukrainian army transgender spokesperson from America, Sarah Ashton Cirillo, aka Big Mike, on a terrorist list. So now listed as a terrorist. This is the uh, American trans Ukrainian English language spokesperson. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> I won't even go there. Um, over to Russia. Tucker Carlson has been spotted in Moscow. And of course, the rumor is that he's there to interview Vladimir Putin. And as soon as I saw that sort of released, of course, he's there to interview Vladimir Putin. Obviously, that's what he's doing there. And he's going to do it. And everyone's freaking out in the United States saying he should be denied citizenship for uh, such a transgression. Tucker Carlson, how dare you interview world leaders, especially the most consequential and prominent and successful ones on the planet. Definitely, you shouldn't be talking to them. Uh, otherwise, you will be persona non grata. They're freaking out in Washington. MSNBC, Morning Joe, everybody else, they're just like going crazy. Should be like stripped of his U.S. citizenship for even attempting such a move. Unbelievable. I've not seen the hysterics like this ever. So this just a few of the things that are going on. So keep an eye on that. Tucker's story is going to develop. Uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff coming out of that. Uh, yes, he is in Moscow. We've seen the footage. We've seen the receipts. He can only be there for one reason, obviously, not to mention visiting Moscow, which is a fantastic city. I want to go over to our uh, correspondent right now, Basil Valentine, rejoining us. Basil. First of all, what do you think about Tucker Carlson in Moscow? What is the reaction? You know, Bill Crystal saying he shouldn't be allowed back in the United States. I was against Hanoi Jane, and I'm a you, you know that was Jane Fonda visiting Hanoi during the Vietnam War, and I'm against Tucker being in Russia. You know, Russia is not actually supposed to be officially an enemy of the United States. There isn't actually a war. You know, World War Three hasn't started yet. Uh, what it does is it just indicates the extent to which the U.S. establishment and media establishment is quite open about its censorship of the views of the leaders of foreign states. Um, what could 
Putin possibly say? Is he so weasel-tongued, so slippery, that he's going to inveigle people into his worldview? This is really bizarre stuff, you know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that is going to be a blockbuster interview uh, by Tucker Carlson. We're expecting it's just going to be amazing. And we're well, going to get a chance I've to... Seen a, uh, I've seen a tiny clip, a preview, a, a quote... So apparently the interview has already taken place. Um, and uh, Putin is asked if the Americans are his enemy. And he says, no, of course not. We fought alongside the Americans in World War II. The American people are not our enemy, but the people in Washington, D.C. are certainly not our friends. <laughs> Very well. A proper statesman can only answer a question, a difficult question like that. What would Joe Biden's answer be to the reciprocal question? I, I, I would venture to imagine what Biden would say, was Russia your enemy? And he might mumble, shuffle a little bit, and someone get some smelling salts. Wake up, Joe. Oh, oh Putin, yeah. Mm, yeah. I don't know what that would be like. Well, you know. Uh, but Biden isn't really capable of coherent thought at this point, as you, you know. He isn't really in charge of anything that I can tell, you know. So, uh, interestingly, though, uh, the whole question of censorship and protected beliefs and what people are allowed to say has been to the fore here in the UK as well. Uh, Professor David Miller, who was a guest on the programme, only last week, of course, has been fighting his uh, landmark case uh, through an employment tribunal, having been sacked by, unfairly dismissed, according to the barrister that wrote the report, by Bristol University. Uh, and he's won his case, I'm pleased to stay at the employment tribunal, meaning that anti-Zionist beliefs are now a protected category of belief um, uh, under the Equalities Act. The uh, presiding judge delivered a 108-page verdict. I mean, a really exhaustive um, judgment, and uh, it's resulted in total victory for Professor Miller and his legal team now. They will be, say, they will be seeking maximum damages maximum damages that means a serious severance package uh not only that the defamation the damage that's been done uh to david miller and his family in the short term i mean can bristol university possibly uh repay him for for that you can't even put a monetary value on it basil really you could in america it'd be about 83 million go ahead well are they going to uh you know, compensate him financially. Obviously, they've got to. Uh, but are they going to give him his job back? That's the key thing. Mm -hmm. Because uh, don't get me wrong, the Zionists and uh, David Miller is uh, what he describes himself this afternoon as a maximalist anti-Zionist because he says uh, Zionism, quite rightly, is itself a maximalist ideology. Um, so, you know, he is... Uh, quite open in his belief that as a racist settler colony uh, based on a supremacist ideology, 
Israel has no right to exist as such. Now, that doesn't mean you don't believe Jewish people are entitled to live in the Holy Land, in historic Palestine, rather that the way the state of Israel operates and is currently constituted as an apartheid state and one which in its own basic laws favours Jewish people over all other ethnicities, religions and nationalities, that's what has to go. Um, and that is indeed, you know, David Miller is not alone in that belief that um, a one state solution with equality for all individuals, irrespective of their religious affiliation or ethnicity, is the only solution for the entire area of the Gaza Strip, Israel, the West Bank, etc. So that's what uh, David Miller's anti-Zionist belief is. And that's what people mean when they say from the river to the sea. Simple as that, really. That is a major, uh, a major ruling uh, for David Miller. It's not just for David Miller. That is for everybody, uh, that ruling. And there's a number of other academics that have been uh, similar accusations been leveled against them, spurious and uh, fraudulent accusations. And uh, wow, David has really uh, been steadfast uh, in his opposition to this. And it's been a long, difficult road for him. I'm sure he's absolutely relieved at this phase of the proceedings has concluded that is a huge a huge uh watermark right now um yes on, on absolutely I, I i haven't seen anything yet from uh any of the mainstream press about it i would imagine that he will continue to be uh attacked i'm afraid to say I hate to have to say so because zionists don't tell to tend to lie down um mm. I hope he gets his job back. Uh, and of course, at this time, uh, other people are being threatened with uh, unemployment or sacked. Roger Waters was uh, sacked from his record label at BMG because of his anti-Zionist beliefs. And all this, of course, going on while Israel commits a genocide. So, the you know, the fault lines in terms of the moral case on both sides couldn't really be clearer at this time wow that's amazing the anti-genocide the anti-genocide movement is being persecuted for opposing genocide uh, don't we live in strange times basil valentine thank you for joining us this week on tnt today's news talk thank you patrick we do live in very interesting times, somewhat disturbing times, but there are rays of hope and light, as Basil has just shared with us there. We'll try to get uh, David Miller back on the program to discuss uh, this latest decision. Uh, perhaps we'll get him on, on Tuesday or Wednesday, but uh, what a fantastic result. Uh, we're pleased for him and his family uh, and everybody else who's being wrongly persecuted and smeared fired, sacked, canceled, all the rest of it for no reason other than standing up for people who are quite frankly defenseless. What is the world coming to? Anyway, thank you for joining us and thank you to Sam Husseini as well, Matt Campbell in the first hour, and of course, Basil Valentine will connect with Mark Crispin Miller at another date when we reschedule. Thank you guys for joining us. Our TNT listeners in the chat room, you guys are amazing. Got great numbers and great response in there. All the best, you guys. Look, take care. Same time, same place tomorrow. I'll see you guys on the other side. 